You sure can. Let's thank the Lord for His blessings. Lord, this is a wonderful time to come together and um, focus on Your Word. We thank You so much. Thank You for Your abundant blessings in our lives, for all that You do for us. Thank You for who You are and the fact that You have revealed Yourself to us. We would know You if You hadn't done that. Even the Scripture says, Lord, that we love You because You first loved us. Thank you for reaching out to us, calling us, wooing us, loving us enough to come on Calvary's cross and give your life so that we might be saved. We are grateful tonight. Thank you for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Help us indeed to hide it in our hearts so that we might not sin against you. As we study your word tonight... Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. We believe in this church that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Bible, the word of God, is the inspired word of God. And if it takes your spirit to inspire the word and to give the word, then it will take your spirit in us to properly understand the word and apply it. So we seek your help tonight. Illuminate our minds, help us to think, help us to understand, and help us to see, perhaps in a way that we haven't before, for we ask it in Christ's name, amen. Second Timothy, it is sometimes said, however, if you look at the, at the title in the top of your Bible, on the page where you find that book of the Bible, it's the second epistle of Paul, the apostle to Timothy. What is an epistle? It's a letter. A letter. The second letter that Paul sent, the second letter that Paul the Apostle sent to Timothy. If we say Second Timothy to some people who are not familiar with the Bible, they might think that this was another person. There was a first Timothy, then there was somebody else named Timothy. No, Second Timothy is a letter, the second letter that was written to Timothy. And um, we're not going to spend much time uh, introducing this. Uh, we did some of that last Sunday with First Timothy. And much of the information is the same, at least the introductory information. But just in a very basic way, let's, uh, in case some may not have heard it and not be on the same page with us, Paul is the apostle, verse 1 that uh, wrote this letter to, verse 2, to Timothy, a beloved son. Now, you read practically the same thing in First Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle by Jesus Christ. And then verse 2 says, to Timothy, a true son in the faith. And then this time he says, verse 2, to Timothy and Second Timothy, a beloved son. We did mention, and I want to make mention tonight as we introduce this, uh, this letter. Let's begin reading at verse 3 of chapter 1. And we will understand that Paul and Timothy were not strangers. They had a very close relationship. In verse 3, Paul says, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you. Paul says, I sure would love to see you. Being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. Now, I'm going to go back and pick up, begin reading at... uh, um, Verse 4 again, and I'd like to tip you off because I'm going to ask you for some help. I want you to to, um, think, what things can we understand, what things can we see about Timothy as we read verses 4 through 7? Look carefully at the wording, at what Paul says, and let's see how many things we can lift out of those few verses about Timothy. Paul says, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, 
that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let me continue just another phrase or two. Verse 8, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. Now, based on those few verses... Let's let's make a, a, this is why I need my, my board. I didn't bring it out tonight because I didn't think I'd need it. Now I need it to make a list. We're going to have to make a mental list. What kinds of things in this, in this passage that we just read do we know, can we learn about Timothy? He did. Wow, isn't that important? He, he had a grandmother that was a believer. He had a mother that was a believer. And he was a believer. Makes me think of a song I've heard. I think I've heard it in the Gaither band. Some passing the faith along. Uh, Grandma had done a good job. And Mama had done a good job. And now Timothy was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, what else can we learn about him? A man of faith. Um, and you would draw that from where? Verse 5, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. No, I'm fine. Thank you, Mo. I appreciate it. He's in there listening to the Bible study, isn't he? <laughs> um, I call to remembrance the genuine faith which is in you. Now, here's Paul the Apostle. He's not a novice. He's a a mature, seasoned man of God, and he recognizes that there is, quote, genuine faith that is in Timothy. So that would tell us about Timothy, that he had faith. Let's go a little bit deeper than that. Right. A great bonding throughout the family. Um. Okay, and why would you say, uh, Annette, that he must have been tender-hearted? Because he said he remembered the tears for him, so he must have wept for Paul. Okay, very good. So it could have been when Timothy and Paul were together, because they did travel together some, and then there came a point in time... If you remember in the book of Acts, remember when Paul was going to go somewhere to preach and the Spirit said no? And so he decided to go this place to preach and the Spirit wouldn't let him. And then that night he went to sleep and he had this vision. He saw a man in Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And then he discerned that the Lord was calling him to Macedonia. Remember that from the book of Acts? Well, it, it would appear that that's what had happened here. And Paul and Timothy are traveling together. And then all of a sudden, the Lord is calling Paul away to go to Macedonia. And Paul says, now you stay here and take care of things in this church at Ephesus. But they were dear friends. And Paul looked up to him as a father. And father, and, and, and Paul looked at Timothy like he's a son. So when they had to part ways, it's very possible, is it not, that Timothy, being tender-hearted, would have been broken-hearted. And had shed some tears. Also, at this point in time, I didn't say anything about this Sunday. We probably will mention it this coming Sunday. Um, Paul was in prison a couple of different times. And as you study the book of Acts, you'll find that Paul was in prison. And at one time, he was in prison and he, uh, he had lots of freedom. And he had people coming and going and was able to share the gospel with lots of people. It was almost like they were putting him up in the Hilton. And, and it was, it was, it was easy for him. He was being held, 
as a prisoner, but people were coming and going to visit with him and so forth. And then later he got, he was released. He was acquitted, if you will. And he got out of prison and he went back to the mission field. And then I'll save the rest of it till Sunday, except to tell you that then he was arrested again and taken back to Rome. And when he went back to Rome this time, it was different. They didn't put him up in, the, the first time was not a Hilton, you understand, but he just had plenty of freedom. This time he doesn't have freedom. This time he's in chains. The first time he went, there were charges against him for which he was later, quote, acquitted, if you want to use that as a general term. The second time when he went back, it was a time of persecution, and he spent his time on death row. He knew he was going to die. He even talks about that in this book tonight. He knew that the time of his departure was at hand. Now, how would that make Timothy feel? That would be another, that would be another cause for tears, would it not? To know that Paul is, is hurting, Paul's life is in danger, Paul is on death row, he's already been sentenced, his life is going to be taken. And, and Paul knows that. He talks about it openly in this, in this book of the Bible as we'll read. So these are things that we understand about their relationship and about Timothy himself. What else can you see there? Probably not as bold as Paul. You may get that from verse 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear. Yeah, and 8. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Um, he's... We have different personalities, right? And some people um, um, are affected emotionally by things that other people just kind of press right on through. It's the way God made us. He made us all different. Paul is the kind of guy, and and he he suffered indescribably because of the gospel. What he went through. And the times that he went through it over and over and over, he suffered tremendously for his stand for Christ. Paul is talking to Timothy now. Timothy's just kind of getting started. Have things been easy for Timothy in the ministry? No, because they're never easy for anybody in ministry. We, I think we established that Sunday. Anywhere you have people... And you have slander and you have gossip and you have busybodies and you have liars and you have perjurers and on and on and on it went, right? And we took it right from the pages of the Word. Anytime you deal with a group of people and you have that, it's never going to be easy. So Paul then is writing to Timothy and Timothy is dealing with some of these things. Even we read in the Bible he's dealing with those things. Charles? Yeah. Yeah. Sure, he did. Times of self-doubt, and 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 that's exactly, is it not, why Paul would have looked at Timothy in the first Timothy and said, "Let no one despise your youth. You're a young man, and you know you're a young man, and they know you're a young man, but God's got His hand on you. There's an anointing on your life. You do what God's called you to do." Don't let your youth stand in the way of that. And so that is another very true statement. But I think Dennis is on to something there where he says that, that Paul was bolder, Paul was stronger, Paul was more outspoken, and then you have Timothy who's somewhat discouraged and his father in the faith is on death row. And it's just um, a very difficult situation for him and he's going through these things. He's being attacked personally. Uh, not physically, but verbally. His ministry is being attacked. His character is being attacked. His age is being attacked. He's under attack himself. And so he's, he, he may have shed tears more than one time. Very likely. And Paul says to him, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And he says in verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony, testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Uh, but stand for Christ. Above all, stand. Well, that's kind of a, um, the introduction. Let's look at um, a, an interesting word here that we see repeated several times early in the book of Second Timothy. Uh, we've already read it in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. 
And then we read in verse 12, For this reason I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. And then we read in uh, chapter 1, verse 16, we read, The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. And then in chapter 2, verse 15, we see it one last time here early in the book of Timothy where the Bible says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So, there's, there seems to be this, this word that keeps reappearing there that in, in no way, shape, form, or fashion should we Christians be ashamed of our faith. In, in any way, for any reason, we're not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not ashamed to say that we're servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not ashamed of the Word of God. Um, wow, I, I may play this Sunday. Has anybody seen the video of Kathy Gifford today on TV? I saw that and I thought, wow, and I even shared it on Facebook. I may play it Sunday. Uh, it, was an, it was on uh, Megan Kelly's TV show. And she was talking to Megan Kelly about Billy Graham and also about the gospel. Did she not stand up for the gospel? I mean, she did. I was so excited when I saw that. And she talked about she, the, the, her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it was having a relationship with Jesus. And, and she said, I remember holding my dead husband in my arms, Frank Gifford. And I didn't worry about, I knew where he was. He was in the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the same way Billy Graham is today. He's in the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she went on and on. And then she broke and began to shed tears and talk about that. She was obviously very sincere. I don't know that I've ever seen anybody with her statue in the world today take that type of stand for Christianity and for the gospel as plainly as she did today unashamedly. It was, a, it was a beautiful thing to say. So um, that's that's the kind of testimony we need. You know, she's probably, as far as morning TV goes, one of the longest lasting, most popular figures on morning TV. And boy, she was letting it rip for the gospel and, and Jesus Christ. I was just, just totally encouraged by that. Well, that's kind of the way we're supposed to be. Not ashamed, but... Um, very eager to stand for the Lord. It's interesting to me, before we get past verse 11 there in chapter 1, notice that Paul says, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Uh, that's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, to, to, to have been appointed by the Lord, been called by the Lord. I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Incidentally, that word teacher there in the New Testament is often equated with pastor. In one passage, it's actually called the pastor teacher. So a, a pastor is a teacher. So he says, I was appointed a preacher. I was appointed an apostle and a teacher or a pastor teacher of the Gentiles. Um, that's something that you should not be ashamed of. But then in verse 12, look what he says. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Why did Paul suffer? Because he was doing the will of God, right? God called him to be a preacher, an apostle, a teacher. He called him to share the word of God without apology and take a stand. And because he did that, he himself admits, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. And then he comes back with this positive statement. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Anybody know that song? You're going to know it Sunday if you don't know it now. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. What a wonderful, wonderful thought. Well, let's, um, chapter 2, verse 2. Well, chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, 
Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, what I have taught you, what I have shared with you, Paul is saying, I have poured into you the word of God. Incidentally, just so that this doesn't slide right on by us, when Paul says, the things that you have heard from me, what things is he talking about? Why is that significant? The things that you have heard from me, Timothy, be sure you hold on to those things. See, Paul had a different experience with the Lord than any of us have had. Did he not? Of course, we remember how he was knocked on his knees and knocked on his face and humbled by the Lord and and the Lord turned him around and Paul was converted and and began to now preach the gospel instead of fight against the gospel, to build the church instead of destroy the church. The Lord turned him around. But here's, here's what I want us to remember. After Paul was converted, how long did he spend in the, in, in the desert with Jesus? How long did the disciples, the first twelve, spend with Jesus? Three years. That's, that's why Paul calls himself an apostle born out of due season. He wasn't there when the first twelve were there, but the Lord took Paul and, and and schooled him and tutored him and taught him. Remember in 1 Corinthians, when you talk about 1 Corinthians 11, I think it is, when Paul was talking about the Lord's Supper? Now, Paul wasn't there for the original Lord's Supper, was he? But in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, For I received from the Lord the things that I declare unto you, how that Jesus at the first took the bread and broke it and shared it. And he describes the Lord's Supper and the Last Supper just as if he was there. Well, he got a first-hand report from somebody who was there, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. He was taught and schooled in a way that we haven't been. He, he, in one place, he says, I was called up into the third heaven. I heard things that weren't lawful to utter. Uh, whether I was in the body or not, I can't tell. It was, it was so spiritual, there were not words to describe the time that he had spent with the Lord. Now, I've got to tell you, I'd like to spend time with a man like that, wouldn't you? Well, Timothy had had that privilege. Timothy had been with Paul, and so Paul says in verse 2, And the things you have heard from me among many witnesses, as I've preached, and you've heard me preach, and you've heard me say all these things, this is very important now. Paul says, Commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I'm teaching you, Timothy, but you take this same gospel and the same word of God and you teach it to other faithful men so that they also can go teach other faithful men and the gospel can be shared. That's important. Because you know what? If we don't pass the faith along, if if we don't have some... Lois's grandmothers and some Eunice's mothers. If we don't have some people who pass the faith along, first thing you know is America is going to be a heathen nation. Amen. So we need moms and dads. We need grandmas and grandpas. You've heard me say this before. You probably get tired of hearing it, but I'm going to say it again. I believe with all my heart the early 1960s were a pivotal turning point in the United States of America. When prayer was taken out of schools and the Ten Commandments were booted out of the public display and and then that began a process by which you can look at any ruler you want to measure America by, it's gone downhill ever since from, from college test scores to divorce rates to violent acts. It... The, the whole society and culture has gone downhill. We are not better off than we were in the 60s, spiritually and morally and ethically. It's pathetic what, where we have gone. You see, when we were, when I was a little boy, you know where Ricky and Lucy were sleeping? In separate beds on TV. 
There was an uproar one time when they decided to put Ricky and Lucy in the same bed and show it on TV. And, and they said, no, no, the public will never buy this. And so they put them back in separate beds because it would be scandalous to show that on TV. Has anything changed now? Yeah, that's where we've gone. See, so when back before the 60s, we went to school, kids prayed, they heard the Word of God read, and, and, and there was this constant influence ever since then. We've had three generations now of Lois's and Eunice's and Timothy's that have no teaching whatsoever in the Word of God. Zero. And, and America is starving for the gospel and they don't even know it. Kathy Gifford said today, uh, she said, if I had, I'm not going to be able to quote this exactly right. Some of you who saw this can maybe help me get it better. She said, if, if I had a cure for malignant cancer, it would be sinful, terrible, wrong for me to keep that to myself. If I had the cure. And she said, I have got the cure for the malignancy in this world today. And it needs to be shared. And it's Jesus Christ and the gospel. Wow. It was, it was powerful. It absolutely was. And so that's, that's what he's saying here. We, we can't let this die. The things that I have taught you and the things that you have heard, commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Grandmas and grandpas have a great responsibility, as do parents. If the parents won't do it, the grandparents need to do it. If the grandparents won't do it, the parents need to do it. But I'm going to tell you, we need to get our act together as Christians and take, take children's ministry seriously and take youth ministry seriously and take coming to church seriously because we are, we are closer to the coming of the Lord right now than we've ever been before. And that's true for everybody in this building. There's no debating that. We are closer to the return of our Lord right now than we've ever been before. That stands to reason, does it not? We should be closer to Him than we've ever been before. There's no time for lukewarmness and business as usual and those types of things. We've got to make sure that we get this right. We need to sure we make, make, take it seriously. Which leads us into chapter 2 where Paul gives several illustrations and we'll touch on these very quickly. Let me, let me um, ask questions to make this point and then we'll look at the scripture. If you're going to be a good soldier in the military... Tell me some things that are extremely important if you're going to be a good soldier. Pardon me? Okay, I'm talking about military. Military right now. Miranda? Follow orders. That's a good one. I don't know that I would have come up with that one. Follow orders is extremely important in the military, isn't it? What else? Bravery. You've got to be strong. You can't be timid. What else? Be alert. What will they do? Now, I've never been in the military, so some of you who have, help me out here. What will they do if you're caught sleeping on guard duty? I think that's a polite word. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's serious business, isn't it? You don't sleep on the job when you're in the military. Lives are at stake, right? So if you're going to be a good soldier, you've got to stay awake, you've got to obey orders, you've got to be diligent in your responsibilities, you've got to know how to use your weapons, you, you, you've got to care enough about your fellow soldiers that you'll stand up and fight for them. All kinds of things, right, are important. Okay? That's right. That's right. All right, let's, let's move, let's transition from being a soldier now to being an athlete. The Olympics are going on right now, so this ought to be really easy. What does it take to be a good skier or racer? Elaborate on that for me. Okay. I wonder how many Big Macs they eat every day. None. 
you got to have great discipline in every area of your life, don't you? To be a good athlete. They get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and, and swim or run or skate and train. They don't eat the Big Macs and the, and the hamburgers that, that normal people eat. They lay that all, all that stuff aside. They, they, some of them almost starve themselves to keep their weight at a, at a level that they can perform at the maximum, even to an unhealthy level from what we're seeing on the news. So there's so many things. I mean, they're sold out to that, aren't they? They're, these people who are performing in the Olympics, most of them, their whole life is wrapped around training for this next four-year event. Some of them have already turned their attention to the next Winter Olympics. They're that disciplined. And Paul says, we're going, we'll read it in a moment. Paul says, if you're going to be an athlete, you've got to do that. You have to do that if you're going to be the best. And then the next thing is, um, if you're going to be a farmer, this is right down the, your line maybe more than athlete. If you're going to be a farmer, what's it take to be a good farmer? <laughs> yeah, you got to be willing to drive that tractor, right? you got to be willing to get out there. you got to plow those fields. You gotta watch the weather. You gotta be familiar when it's time to plant. When it's time to plant, you can't sleep in all day and decide I'm not gonna plant because the next day you might not be able to because the ground might be too wet. In other words, you have to get on top of things, don't you? You have to be proactive. You stay ahead of the game. And when it's time for harvest, you don't go on vacation when it's time for harvest. You get in there and pick that stuff out. And you, you put the, the stuff on the ground you need to put there to fertilize things. You do it all in its season. You can't forget those things. You can't let weeds take over. You gotta cultivate. You gotta do all those things if you're gonna be a good farmer. You can't just go out and throw a few seeds out and then come back six months later and collect the harvest, can you? I can testify that that's an absolute truth. I've done that with gardens several times. Planted a nice garden. Put it in the ground. It looks so pretty. And then I got so busy. I, well, I, maybe I'll weed it tomorrow and come back. And maybe I, next time, you know, I just needed a weed eater to weed it. And I got it all. If you're going to be a good farmer, you got to stay on top of that thing. Right? Daily. Daily. That's the truth. You do. And to be a, a good worker on the job, you got to show up. you got to be dependable. you got to be trustworthy. See, in all these different areas. And that's what Paul says. In verse 4, he says, No one engaged in warfare, no soldier entangles himself with the affairs of this life. You got a, you got a soldier, he's on standing guard duty, and if they catch him and his buddy sitting there playing cards, it's bad news. And then he says, and, and the reason is because you want to please him who enlisted him as a soldier. The Lord has called us into not military service, but spiritual service to Him. And in that vein, Gene, we need what you said a while ago. Faith. Faith. Exactly. Verse 5 says, And also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. you got to do it the way they say do it. and you got to pay the price. Verse 6, The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. And he goes on, uh, getting down to verse 14. He's going to talk about uh, workers. Some approve, some are good workers, some are not good workers. Some results are good, some results are not so good. And although I will mention this probably again Sunday, we're in Second Timothy now, not First Timothy, but I want you to listen to what pops up all over again. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Verse 16, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Sounds like that's been heard before, hasn't it? And then he turns around and says in verse 17, their message spreads like cancer. Wow. These, these words, these problems... Uh, verse 23, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. How dumb is it for us to sit around and, and spend hours talking about, um, wh where were the dinosaurs and, you know, 
and when was what was the date of creation and where in history did the dinosaurs fit in and why don't we read about dinosaurs in the Bible? Well, dinosaurs don't have a lot to do with salvation of mankind, so we really don't need to read about dinosaurs in the Bible, right? Uh, but we can get caught up in those stupid arguments and surmisings which leads people, according to the Bible even, to doubt, verse 23, they, they generate strife, these things do. Verse 24 says, the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. Uh, verse 26, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So, um, you know what, there's so much being said here in Second Timothy. We could study Second Timothy for six months. That's the honest truth. There's a lot being said here. Chapter 3, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. These are dangerous times, difficult times. Perilous times will come. Now, how many believe we're living in the last days? All right, listen to this description of the last days. See if you don't think it fits where we're living now. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And then the scripture says, and from such people turn away. Let's pull one of those things out and give me an example. Something that you see happening in our world today and you see it listed there and, and you can give us an example of that. Okay. Well, you know what? I hadn't thought about that in that light before. Men lovers of themselves, loving other men. Yeah, I, I think that fits in there. It's also probably applicable in the in the in the way of saying we love ourselves so much we do what we want for ourselves, not considering more important priorities than what we want. Not thinking of others perhaps at times. Not thinking, putting the Lord first. We, we do what we want. We're going to be people, self-pleasers in other words. Do what makes us happy. Yeah, that's true. Okay, what else? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's all over, isn't it? Lovers of money. Okay. You see any more that you'd like to? A form of godliness. Let's talk about that for a minute. What's a form of godliness? Anybody else? I'm sorry? But that could be... Yeah. Hypocrisy. A form of godliness, but denying its power. Things like PETA, 
we're putting animals up above humanity and, and just denying the fact that there is a higher power at all. So we, we are walking forms of godliness, but we deny that God exists or has any authority. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anybody else? Out now. They go, they go to church regularly, but they don't really believe how wonderful God is. They just their faith is not fully in Him. They think if they go to church, they're doing what they're supposed to do, but maybe not repent through Jesus' blood. You know, there's, I think that's a form of godliness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ritual won't do it. Ritual? Ritual won't do it alone. Not that ritual is wrong, but ritual without the power of God is wrong. <laughs> it won't get us anywhere, will it? What about those um, professing Christians who week after week, month after month, year after year, go to church, and it is never anything but a ritual. There's never any spirit. There's never any conviction. There's never any worship that comes from the heart. Never any expression of um, our adoration toward God openly and spontaneously, and never any reception on the part of the worshipers, whereas the Bible says, His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. So you go into a church, week after week, month after month, year after year, you go into a church, and when you leave, you're just as dead and depressed as you were when you went in. I think that would be a form of godliness. I'm going through some motions, saying some words, but nothing's ever happening in my life. That's sad. It would be the power of God wanting to work, and we're we're denying Him that opportunity in our hearts and in our lives and our service. That's excellent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I talked to someone the other day on our property here who was was here visiting. They have never been to church here before, and they attend a different church in the area. Um, And in their search for a church, they were telling me they had visited several churches, many churches, in fact, looking for somewhere to go. And they said that they were astounded at how many churches they went to, and they never heard the Word of God preached. They heard stories, and they heard um, speeches about any number of things, but they never heard God's Word expounded and talked about. I was quite taken back by that. I don't don't know that I've ever been to... Of course, I haven't been to many churches except the one... uh, uh, Dad's been the only pastor I've ever had, really, other than 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 myself. So I haven't been accustomed to that. But I, occasionally on TV, I have seen you know the feel good sermons and just you know the no substance to it, really. Just uh, it it makes everybody feel good, but it doesn't change your heart and your life.
how you live. Okay. Right. Right. That's true. Very true. A lot of preachers don't believe in it and are starting to preach it openly. Absolutely. I think that's very true. And and if you were looking at it in that light, we're in trouble in America. Sure, Christy? Absolutely. That's worded pretty good. And it's not that they can't see it. They won't accept it. They won't embrace it. Because they don't like what it is. They don't like the truth. Absolutely. Anyone else before we move? Okay, let's uh, read farther. Uh, beginning at verse 10 of chapter 3. Paul says to Timothy, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Well, I want us to talk about this next verse, verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's not necessarily a verse we want to dwell on, but you think about how that verse right there jives with the prosperity gospel. Uh, well, it doesn't jive with the prosperity gospel, does it? To be taught that you're never going to have any trouble. You're never going to get sick. If you get sick, it's a sign there's sin in your life or there's a lack of faith in your life if you don't get healed. You've heard all those heresies. And um, Jesus himself said, in this world you shall suffer trouble, tribulation. Paul says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you have your Bible and you have it open, I want you to read verse 12 with me. Of course, I'm reading from the New King James Version, so you, you may have to kind of skip along with us if you're reading out of the 1611 King James Version or some other. But verse 12, let's read it. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. There's no ifs, there's no ands, there's no buts. It is a promise. If I'm stating that correctly, would you say amen? amen? So then why would we get so bent out of shape and fall to pieces when we have persecution? We know it to be true, right? We... And, and Christians, and Paul talks about this in some measure, and all of us have learned it, that sometimes we as Christians are so touchy if somebody doesn't smile at us the right way or doesn't greet us the right way. We're so puny that it hurts our feelings and we quit going to church. My goodness, if we can't handle stuff like that, we sure can't handle persecution. Am I right? Or a trial 
Amen. See, these are these are basic things that that Paul is trying to help Timothy understand, that Timothy wants to help us understand so we can help other people understand. We need to grow up. And can you imagine how Paul's life would have been different if every time somebody said something to him, I mean, I don't even know how that he even dream of that because this is a guy that was persecuted everywhere he went, was beaten, was pummeled, was stoned. Everywhere he went, he ran into the same opposition, having to run and flee from one place to another. Paul didn't really care if somebody looked at him and didn't smile or not. He was a little bit more mature than that, wasn't he? See, so we we have to grow up and we have to understand. Listen, sometimes, I know this is going to be a revelation for you all. I understand. But there's sometimes on Sunday morning, I don't feel like coming to church. It's the truth. I'm not in the mood. You know, I've had a hard day. I didn't sleep that night or whatever. Sometimes you just don't feel like getting it done, right? That's the way it is. But you get up and get it done anyway. And like Tony said, you have some irritation in your life or some problem in your life, and you decide you're going to stay home, not go to church. Well, the church is the place you should be that day. Uh huh. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Not looking around you. Yeah, we all have different personalities. I wish we could get that through the sermon. Yeah. <laughs> In all our heads, we act different, we are different. Yeah. We're just different people. God blesses us according to our personality. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. If a man is a, a hop, skip, jump kind of guy, when God blesses him, he's going to hop, skip, and jump. And if a guy is a more somber type thinker, God's going to bless him. Right. And uh, I'm going to focus on the blessings of God and not worry too much, as you say, about what people have to say about Right. Right. That's so interesting. I was just watching, as I was leaving tonight, the <coughs> news about Billy Graham's passing, and they were showing some footage. So, some footage of when he was preaching in the 60s. You ever seen any of those? Man, he was all swinging arms. He was all, they said, he went from one side of the rostrum to the other. I don't hear that word rostrum much, but they used it on the news. They said he was all over the place. And then later in his ministry, he'd stand in there in one place and never move a foot the whole time he prays. Billy Graham proved that. That's the truth. Yeah. Don't get me started too much now. Yeah. Anointing. I've seen men turn the anointing of God stand there and never lift a foot off the floor and just stand flat footed and preach the power of God. Yeah. Anointing and your hair stand up. Yeah. And I've seen some run from one side to the other and preach the power of God. Yeah. Yes. That's right. That's right. Verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from the child, from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16. This is a biggie. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. A little trend, a literal translation of that could be all scripture is God breathed. All scripture is God breathed. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. All scripture is profitable. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, 
for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete or mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, everybody who likes reproof, say amen. Everybody who likes correction, say amen. Well, you all get the point, don't you? There are parts of the Bible that we don't get excited about sometimes. But the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's all God-breathed. It's all profitable for doctrine, that is, teaching, and for reproof, and for correction. If we're not doing it right, may God send us somebody that's got the backbone to tell us we're not doing it right. Amen? But if if all the preachers are so spineless that nobody will take a stand, then, then we don't get it. And so that's what Paul is telling, telling Timothy there. Be strong. Stand. Don't be a wimp. You know, don't be fearful. Stand and do what you've been called to do. Okay, which leads us into chapter 4, which is another good passage. Number Verse number 2, preach the word. Didn't say preach comic books or novels or other things. It says preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, uh-oh, here's that word again, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Now, let me ask you this. In the days in which we live, I'm not going to answer this. I want you to answer it. In the days in which we live right now, if a pastor stands in front of a church and rebukes, most likely what kind of reaction is he going to get? Thank you. It's it's not popular to do what the Bible says we're supposed to do, is it? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince. Rebuke. Exhort. With all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears... They will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables, fairy tales, things that aren't true at all. So that that is one powerful scripture there. Our time is running out. I want to to end up by talking about Paul's attitude. Now remember, he's in prison He's, he's also where? I've used this phrase several times. Where's Paul now? He's in prison and he's on, he's on death row. In verse 6, chapter 4, verse 6, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. Now I've read this scripture Most all my life, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. But I never thought of that verse with the understanding that he was on death row and he knew it. His his head was about to be cut off. And he knew it was coming. And incidentally, this is the last letter that that, uh, Paul ever wrote. 2 Timothy. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, he knows he's on death row and his time is short. Look what he says in verse 9. Be diligent to come to me quickly. (laughs) I don't have much time. You can't wait. You've got to come quick. And um, he says, he makes reference to that a little bit later before the book ends. Um, my eyes don't fall. Oh, wait, here it is. Um, verse 21. Do your utmost to come before winter. Hurry. So here's a man, a father in the faith, who is writing to his son in the faith. 
And he wants Timothy to get it right. He wants Timothy to make it just like a good soldier, just like a gold medal winner in the Olympics, just like a farmer who has a big harvest, just like a worker who's a very successful worker. He wants him to do it right, do it well, so that one day he gets the crown of life. <laughs>